Motherboard, proudly brought to you by Lidl's Loopy Loo, the new and extended baby range. everyone, I'm Avril Flynn and you're very welcome to the Motherboard podcast. Motherboard is a podcast series featuring real mums talking about the beautiful but often hard work of raising kids today. Today we are going to be discussing age gaps between kids and also sibling rivalry. I have a brilliant panel with me. I have Laura Doyle, who's a mum of four and runs Love Life and Little Ones blog. Tracy Quinn, who's also a blogger of Love of Living. Tracy is also a mum of one and I hope she doesn't mind me saying has another little person on the way. Very exciting times. Congratulations. And last but certainly not least, Joanna Fortune, who is a mum of one as well and clinical psychotherapist specialising in child and adolescent psychotherapy. So you're all very welcome, ladies. Thank you. Thank Joanna, you. there's no right or wrong when it comes to fa- family planning and, you know, sibling gaps. You know, it's it's there is no right or wrong. Answer. No, there isn't. I mean, you'd like to think there's some kind of recipe or prescription that we could all follow that you have child yeah. one here and child. Wouldn't that be great? That's not the way life works. And every family is so unique in terms of what we all bring to it from our own childhood experiences growing up. And when we meet our the pe- person we're going to have children with and what age we're at and a lot of other variables contribute to the decision as to when you will have children and the age gap you're going to have between them. If it's something that you want to have your family younger and you want to space them out, you might plan that. But if you are later having your first child, you might feel I got to have them quick if I'm going to have more than one. And that's a a perception a lot of people carry. So I don't think there's a right or wrong way. It's what you do with it once they're here, really. Of course. And are there any specific advantages or disadvantages to either having children close together, like for the for the kids or spacing them much further out? I think like everything when it comes to raising children and parenting, there are pros and cons to all of it. I think one of the pros, just to start with that, of having your children quite close in age is that you are parenting the same stage of development at the same time. So you're doing all your nappies, all your potty training, all your preschool into big school. You're doing all of that stuff at the same time. You're in that zone for a period of time and then 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 it's done. And that continues as they grow because then you're into middle childhood and then you're into adolescence and you're kind of doing the same uh, parenting framework from the beginning. Whereas if they've got bigger gaps, you're going to be doing the baby parenting and possibly pre-adolescent parenting at the same time. And that is no mean feat. So there are pros and cons to all of that. From a child's perspective, it's really around what developmental stage I'm at when my sibling comes along. Because I often hear about, you know, um, a little toddler struggling because a new baby's coming along. And it looks like this toddler who might be, say, two years old by the time baby comes along is really rejecting the sibling and having a hard time, lots of tantrums, lots of no, 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 and I don't want the baby and I want mommy or daddy. But actually, if you were to remove the baby from that situation, that toddler would probably be doing the exact Mm, same thing because that is toddler behaviour. So causation and correlation are not the same thing. There's just so many variables. There really are, yeah. Tracy, did you think kind of long and hard about when to have a sibling for Billy or whether you were going to have a sibling or what kind of variables came into your thought process? Um, I always knew I wanted to have a couple of kids. Um, Back before I had Billy, I would have been certain that they would have been close together because that's what was normal to me. There was kind of a sibling every two years in my house growing up and my memories of being a child are just loads of kids and loads of friends. And I thought, I want that for my child as well. But actually, I think my perception of parenting 
was so different to the reality that when he came along, I Things actually changed. Oh my, I yeah. went completely the other way and I thought, this is what I used to always say. Yeah. I don't think I want a baby when I have a baby. I couldn't imagine having yeah. what you were saying, Joanna, yeah. about the same stage. I actually completely rejected that idea. Yeah. I thought I can't do this at the same time. So I think when I don't have a baby anymore, I'll probably want another baby. Um, and also, just in terms of variables for us, it was our housing situation yeah. really impacted the decision. Because and financially as well. I mean, they, it. they're all it, like it's not just as simple of, oh, I want to have two years between my kids. Exactly. Like in an ideal world, you can make those decisions, but there's no guarantee it'll actually That's it. Like it, it got to three and a half and people are like, where's Billy going to school? And I'm saying, I don't know where we're going to be living. Um, yeah. The whole mortgage application, another pregnancy would affect it and maternity leave. And I think then the longer it goes, the more variables you have to play with of and course. the more you have to ignore some of them to make a decision. And also the more people are asking. All the time. Yeah. yeah completely. Or are always assuming that it's just about to happen or that it's on or your it's on, Or that you're, it's happening and you're or keeping it's happened, it or, Yeah, exactly. And Laura, with you, there's different age gaps between the four kids. Did you decide, was that more of a decision or did it just sort of happen or was there any kind of what what was your thought process with that? Yeah, so we have both sides of the coin, really. So we've got a nine year old and then we had a five year gap. gap and then we've got a four, two and one year old. OK, so, so brilliant. So, you really, you <laughs> so really, I see both yeah. sides. Um, so when I got pregnant on Kyle, I was 21. So that was a surprise pregnancy and not a conscious decision to have him. So. That we were kind of thrown in at the deep end. And really, I just was trying to find my feet as a mum before I had any more. I, I kind of wanted to be really secure in what I was doing, secure in my life um, a little bit more than I had been when I had Kyle. So um, myself and my husband got married and then we decided to have a couple more. And that was actually a conscious decision to have them so close in age because both of us came from families where there was big age gaps in our siblings and we just, we didn't want that for our kids. We wanted them with the hope to be close, to be friends. Um, yeah, and then we'd three and four years, so. Wow. <laughs> Mission <laughs> accomplished. <laughs> and do you find that with, um, you know, having Kyle as the older sibling that he is a good help with the younger ones? I think that's that's maybe a pro and a con. Mm-hmm. I think, yes, he is a great help, but we expect a lot from him. So as a nine-year-old, we do expect more maybe than other nine-year-olds in his class or other nine-year-olds that are the baby of the family. Um, now, he loves to help and he's a great help, but I think with that, we do expect a lot more from him. And it's funny as well, I always think it's not only the age gap between, but also the order that you have your kids in, because I think family ordering, you know, the Mm. oldest child will have certain traits, the youngest child will have certain traits. Like I consider myself a typical middle child um, and, you know, I have all like box ticks of everything that a middle child is. I I am that. Joanna, is that true that the ordering as well Mm. can shape um, what a, a child kind of becomes. Uh, yes and no. I mean, again, I'm going to hit you with the variables because life just isn't that prescriptive. Mm-hmm. And I think what a lot of it is, is that the myth surrounding what a typical oldest, youngest and middle child so it's like is. chicken and egg. We kind of project it. that onto our children. And I think what actually contributes, if we're looking at birth order, more than the order our children are in, is what order were we in? 
in our okay. family and what are we projecting oh, outwards then because if you oh, as, dear. as you identify with <laughs> yes, being so a classic middle child you know so what do, how does that inform your parenting and how will that in turn influence your little guy as he's yeah, growing up so I don't think terrifying it's, as you I said, don't think Tracy. it's as simple as you know look at the draw that's <laughs> just the way it came out I think as well as that as parents and we'll often identify more with some traits in one or other of our children more than we see or hear ourselves coming out of them. All and the time. Yeah, do you know, All like you never realise how annoying you are till mm. you're fighting with a miniature version of yourself, <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh my goodness. But, you know, so I think that will influence more than birth order how that child is going to develop and grow up and have a relationship with you because it's what they trigger because what basically happens in a family like this, I mean, look, at I've said it before, there is no better way to discover your unresolved stuff than to have a child. They will bring that screaming to the surface for you. It is. And I think it's a little bit like you were saying, Tracy, you were saying, you know, I had this plan. I'm going to have my children close together. Then I had one and was like, what was I thinking? So (laughs) it's about the experience of being in the moment. It's why there is no right or wrong. But certainly there can be traits because our first child is the child that makes us a parent. So we didn't just make them, they made us. But they, in one way, the pro is they get a lot of our squeaky clean, super intentioned, organic child raising Mm. stuff. And the other ones, not so much because we kind of go, eh, it's okay. You read a few books with number one. You really do. And you plan and you plan. But then as well as that, we're at risk of you know, putting too much expectation on that first one. You got all of this for me, you better deliver. Um, And then if you have the younger ones, a bit like you were saying there, Laura, the pros and the cons, when we put too much onto the first one, they can be a great help. And lots of them love to help Mm. and feel that role. But we are at risk of putting onto them something from our choice. They didn't choose. Well, that's and that's one thing that I worry about is that is that he didn't choose to have these three sisters, you know, although he asked me and asked me as soon as he started Montessori, he was like, that person has a sibling, that person, you know, when am I getting a brother or sister? But although he wanted a sibling, he not necessarily wanted to look after some siblings, you know, and, and I do feel guilty in that way because he had our undivided attention for five full years. You know, we had more disposable income. We had more time to spend with him and all of a sudden he's got these three little sisters that are starting to take up a lot more of our time and that's definitely something I feel guilty about a lot of the time. But you I know? don't think you should feel guilty. Yeah. I mean I think you know I do view it as that I, I, I'm very lucky in that I get on incredibly well with both of my sisters and my brother and they have been the and remain still some of the most important relationships in my life. I think that sibling relationship, when it works well, um, can be very transformative and a very positive thing to have someone and a shared experience in growing up. Even if there is a large gap, yeah. you've experienced a lot of the same things. Yeah. So I think it's a real, a real gift. And in saying that, I mean, I have made no plans to have another baby and I don't know if I will, um, even though I totally think that having a sibling is absolutely brilliant. Tracy, when you were considering having a sibling for Billy, did it has like is it something that keeps you worried about about whether they'll get on, whether they won't get on, or what you would do to encourage a bond between them? Um, not really. It's not something I'm very worried about, probably because I come from a family with so many children. So like I'm So how many brothers and sisters I'm okay. the, the oldest. Um and I think I've seen the transience in the closeness and in the battles and in the best friends and then the enemies. And we've just had this amazing kind of 
transformative experience where we've all come out the other end and we've had the good times, the bad times. And actually, as adults, we have really, really great relationships. And looking back now, there was some hard times, like say, my sister, there was hard times with my brothers. um, And I think there's nothing strange about that. So I'm thinking, I actually expect Billy and his sibling, because it's going to be a five year age gap, to be great friends sometimes, to have really hard times at other times and I think it's so more of a realistic I think kind so of, yeah. I'm not but expecting this amazing like friendship and I'm not expecting negative results either I just kind of think all I can do is my best mm-hmm. and all I can do is try and be the best mum that I can be and give the most amount of love uh, to the both of them and like that I just think worrying about it is just adding another stressful factor I know but I suppose um, that's what we do as moms I know, isn't it we I worry know. about having them mm-hmm. not having them yeah. get, leaving the gap too big leaving the gap too small I know and as you said Joanna a lot of it is totally out of your control absolutely you just have to do the best and you can't you know prescribe how your children's relationship with each other will be because actually they could be the best of friends in mm-hmm adulthood, even with an age gap, you know, versus not. But I think what it is, is that, as you're saying, Trace, you nurture each of them as best you can. And by investing in them and their Mm -hmm. sense of self, they find their way to that relationship. That's not for us to do. It's we set them on the path and they will find it. I mean, I think it's a really true statement to say that your siblings, you might kill them, but you would kill for them a lot of the time, most of the time. It's a very unique (laughs) relationship. You know, it is a unique relationship, but it's also our very first experience of friendship and enemy. In one. Mm-hmm. Children really learn about peer interaction like through their both, siblings. Both in the same day. <laughs> hour to hour, Avril, yeah. really. You know, I think anyone listening go, yep, yep, that's happening right now. But it is about how we cut our teeth on peer relationships. It's how we begin to negotiate you know, rupture and repair, reciprocity, um, solution focused thinking, critical thinking, boundaries, limit setting. We we have to kind of go, well, I want that. So how am I going to get it? And they're going to cry and then that'll happen and this will happen. There's a lot of joined up thinking that has to go in there. So that's a real pro for children who have siblings. They will learn from each other. They will teach each other and they will develop a resilience about relationships. And I think that's going to be the benefit going forward. I think in the now moments when you're parenting that, that can actually be really challenging because that's the rouse. And Laura, I mean, it's a real balancing act, isn't it? Like, you know, you when you're trying to balance with the four, you know, with the girls and with Kyle mm. to kind of, I suppose, be equal in your attention, but also kind of encourage them to kind of work some of the things out themselves. Yeah. And I think I've said this before, like usually when they fight, like the, the girls, because they're so close in age, always fight over books, toys, anything. And really, I try not to get involved um, because I think it's so important for their development, for their social skills, for every aspect of their life and their adult life to learn all of that at such a young age. I think it's such a huge advantage to my girls. Um, not great to listen to at the time, like. but afterwards I do think that, yeah, they're learning so much from this. Um, so I don't really try and get involved and... You know, as for balancing, yeah, that's that's just my life. It's just a balancing act. Constantly. Always, yeah. yeah. And what I just try and do is just to give them 100% of my time when I'm with them, you know, so that they're not kind of fighting each other for my attention. So if I am doing something, which is which is back on the point of raising them together, if I'm, if I'm going to play with them, I kind of play with all of them at the same time and it really works well in that way, you know, because I can just mm-hmm. do one thing and they're all getting mommy's attention. You know, and then I suppose as you kind of not only as you have more kids, but you're also a little bit older with a little bit more experience. So that's going to 
um, inform how you're going to parent and how those sibling relationships are going to kind of form. Is there anything you can do, Joanna, to encourage positive? I mean, I know there's lots of variables, but is there anything you can do as a parent to kind of advise people listening at home to kind of encourage positive sibling relationships? Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is a natural competitive element to sibling dynamics. That's what we're talking about that comes out in a rivalry. It's that competitive edge. So if you encourage collaboration between them so that they work collaboratively on something or that you're playing as a family, like Laura's saying, and it might be mum and dad on one team and the kids on another team. So they have to work collaboratively with each other. But there's the competitive piece between the two teams. I think that's a really nice way, setting them a joint project to do work on this card, work on this picture, work on this puzzle, whatever it might be. I think if you encourage that and also that you don't get pulled in to rescuing every row, but that you actually give give them even non-verbally the message, I know that you can work this out Mm -hmm. and that you're investing in their self-esteem and their skills. I think there's a huge amount you can do because they'll make up very quickly and you'll be the enemy for having gotten involved. Of course. And it's very easy, I think, as the adult in the room or the parent, you see both sides and probably you do side with one. But I try not to side with one because I don't want to appear that I'm having favouritism over one child, you know, because... Absolutely. Can hold that against you too. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a great first half for our Motherboard podcast. Stay tuned because in part two, we'll be discussing the bond between siblings and solutions when that bond breaks down. Motherboard, proudly brought to you by Lidl's Loopy Loo, the new and extended baby range. Welcome back to part two of our Motherboard podcast. I, like, I find the whole talking about siblings very difficult to not kind of mention my own. As I said, I get on incredibly well with my brother and my two sisters and they have been and remain some of the most important relationships in my life. But it wasn't always so. There is um, 15 years between my oldest sister and my youngest sister and I'm in the middle and then my brother is four years older than me. And I have to say, I remember the moment of finding out that I wasn't going to be the baby in the family anymore. I was seven and a half and I remember somebody saying oh you're not going to be the baby anymore and I really distinctly remember that and my poor little sister Megan she won't mind me saying this I was really mean to her like to the point of I would say disturbingly so like I was really horrible to her when she was born. She was the most beautiful little baby, but I was intensely jealous of her. And my parents, I think, did a good job at making sure that I didn't actually kill her. But I mean, I remember I used to do really mean things like, um, like bribe her with like really rubbish presents and like lock her into places and pretend I had fainted and stuff until she like cried and then I'd magically wake up like really bad stuff. Um, what I want to know is, Joanna, have I permanently damaged my yes. sister? <laughs> You'll have to pay her therapy bills for life. Oh. No, I think what, what you're doing is really actually quite clever. I'm going to positively reframe all of those things you did. It's clever because as a young child, you work out a way to evacuate those icky, uncomfortable feelings that are stirred up in you. You mentioned jealousy. You were displaced in the family order. You'd identified as 
baby and someone delivered that message quite harshly. Uh-uh, not anymore. And as a seven and a half year old, what are you going to do with those feelings? You can't say, you know, this this is overwhelming me. I wish we had time to think about it and process it together. You don't do that. You say it with behavior. And so you project that icky, uncomfortable stuff onto her. So that's, you know, explaining it. I'm not saying that excuses it, you know, but it explains <laughs> I it. I have apologized to her on, on several occasions. But I, 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 I think it's quite now. normal because, you know, we do identify with certain roles within our sibling dynamic. You know, you've the drama queen, you've the organizer, you've the peacemaker, you've the everybody has a different role. And I think you go back to type. I mean, I see it when we're all together now. We still slot into our roles like Absolutely. my brother and my sister. There's 11 years between them. We call them the twins. They are so similar in the way they act like they're hilarious. But you wouldn't think that a boy and girl with that big of a gap would be like that. But they really are. I, I mean, luckily enough, we never my my dad is particularly really encouraged, you know, that we would all be very close and still does. And I think now that we're becoming parents and seeing how that mm. works out. You know, it's funny when you become the parent that you suddenly realise how important, you know, those relationships are. You really do. And I think it's because you're not just seeing or thinking it, you're feeling it. Mm. And that just makes it all the more real. And it is it is such an important relationship, even in its negative components, that's still important for all of us. It's yeah, how we learn how to deal with intense feelings like jealousy, hatred, you know, all those vulnerabilities. It's how we cut our teeth on learning strategies to cope with that in the real world is with our siblings. And Tracy, are any of your um, siblings, are they parents? Are you the only one that's a parent so far? I'm the only one. And it's funny what Joanne was saying about the, you know, the roles you adopt and kind of how they can follow you into adulthood, because that's exactly what happened to me. I was the eldest of five. I was the mother hen. I was the really the organizer, organized, good girl, uh, goody, goody two shoes mm. who my siblings would have thought, oh, here we go again. Um, I was the drama queen, the one who loved singing and I loved school and English. And it seemed to always be about comparing and not in a not in a competition way. But my mom and dad always were really proud of me. And I think what came across as pride was accepted by my siblings as just really annoying. They resented me for it, even though I wasn't the one actually delivering that's the information. Hard, that's hard for you. Yeah, that's a real, you know, putting you in your place and well, then you, it, yeah. you, you, you're expected to exactly. behave in a particular way. And then like they were, ext- I would say, normal, in inverted commas, teenagers and did some of the things that I didn't do growing up. And I used to have to reassure my mother that, no, mom, they're really normal. This is normal stuff. I was just quite different. Um, but it's funny because as an adult now, my mom will always say, Tracy, you don't have to fix everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. It's not your responsibility. Just because I'm telling you there's a problem doesn't mean I'm asking you to fix it. And I definitely take on that role in all of my relationships in life, in a work sense, with my friendships, um, in, in every capacity, I'm the fixer uh, because I think I adopted that role as mm-hmm. the elder sibling. Um, and it's it's I can't shake it. It's it's such an inherent inherent part of me. Yeah, so I really think people will have seen a lot of going back to type over the Christmas period. I think people spending a lot of time with their siblings and family. I think it definitely brings out both the best and the worst. And you just become what you've always been. I, like I find it hilarious. Absolutely, quite adolescent regression. I think that'll have gone on in a lot of families over the Christmas period. And again, that's not judgment because that's quite normal. It's we'll all. Rev- to where we came in the pecking order, who we were at home, because going home activates our attachment system. And when that happens, all of those inherent traits and behaviours 
they just kick back in. I can see a lot of people listening to this in their car, nodding their head and just going, oh my God, thank God it's over. (laughs) That's why, you know, a good brisk walk on a Christmas day gets you out of the house and away from everyone, lets you get regrounded. But it's a bit late in the day to be saying that now, but you're for next year. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. You know, that could be a New Year's resolution. Yeah. But I see all of those roles already developing in my girls. Mm. So they're four, two and one. And the four year old is really maternal and she's she takes care of the other two. And even when my youngest was born, when I when I brought her home from the hospital, my four year old wanted to change her bum and look after her. And she really just took on that role. And I wonder, Joanna, is that her place in the family or is she just like that? Would she be like that if she was the youngest of the three? Like the the two year old, she's she's the the monkey, the messer, and the four year old. I just have visions of them as teenagers. That the four year old saying, "We have to go home," and her saying, "I'm staying out." Like you know, (laughs) (laughs) I can totally see that because I know already. I see, I know. So is that just their personalities, or is that because Noah is the oldest of three? How does that work? It it could be, but at the same time, she's also seen you changing a lot of bums. She yes. has seen you doing a lot of maternal nurture because there's been babies. Mm. So a lot of it is that she wants to be like you. So she's mirroring oh. you. So she's role so exactly. exactly. I think that's probably wow. more likely, okay. you know, and there's no harm in that at all because and she may be quite a naturally nurturing yeah. person. And what's really important for our kids is that, you know, especially the ones who naturally give nurture is that they also learn to receive nurture yes. so that they can take care of themselves and not get overwhelmed or put upon or become the rescuers or feel like they always have to fix the things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's funny because as much as we expect off our nine-year-old, we do expect a little bit off the four-year-old as well I'm because sure. she's so happy to do it. It's it's like, you go get me that, you go get me that. And she's so happy to do it. But I never kind of stop and think, OK, maybe I shouldn't be expecting as much as, as happy as she is to help out. Maybe I am expecting a bit much from her, you know. I, I'd say that if she's happy to do it, then she's enjoying the mm. role. Yeah. You know, that yeah. I think part of being in a family, particularly when there's lots of people in the family, is everyone has to help out. And yeah. so it is, you, you know, two four-year-olds are going to be the same because the family dynamic they're coming from won't be the same. Yes. Isn't it funny, though, as you move through life and you can see it already with, with, with kids that sometimes that they're the best of friends, so they get on incredibly well for a period of time. And then as they move through different stages, their personalities remain quite the same, but yet sometimes that works well together and other times they end up just killing each other and I think that that goes into adulthood like I see it with my own now we get on really really well but there have been times that we haven't always seen Mm. eye to eye but yet our personalities have always remained the same and it just depends on what circumstance or what stage or what age you are like in you know adolescent when you're a teenager sure you hate everyone Um, and you don't know yourself so anybody that you know you're very vulnerable and I think Oh, well, I certainly was. I just didn't know myself at all. And I found sibling relationships at that stage very challenging. Did you ever find that, Tracy, that during that stage you can, you know, and what would you do when Billy reaches that stage? What would you do to kind of encourage things to be a little bit easier for him? Yeah, like looking back now, it's funny. I, I think when you're living in a house with your siblings, the relationship is so intimate. Um, you can say things and do things to your sibling that you would and not press do to anyone buttons. else. Unbelievably yeah. so. Because there's less at stake because you live with them. They're guaranteed. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. You're stuck with them forever. That's a really good way to and look at it, actually. Actually, I think when you become an adult, there is more to fight for because you have to really work at 
keeping that bond alive. You don't so live true. together. You don't have that physical closeness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, the given in terms of conversation, in terms of physical, physically just being around each other, that you have to actually really want the relationship that's to work. That's a brilliant way to look yeah. at it. Yeah. Um, and that's definitely been true in our in our um, family because, as I said, growing up, there was five of us. There was lots of uh troubles and there was lots of brilliant times as well but as adults we've all worked out to be very different people and I can see that some of the relationships are stronger than others but the common thread in all of it is they actually don't just survive on their own they really take that willingness and that enthusiasm from everybody to want the relationship to work. I totally agree with you yeah and I suppose there's role modelling for your own children like if you're if your kids see you getting on well with your brothers and sisters as an adult that will, might encourage them to get on with their own when they're little. Would you agree with that, Joanna? I would generally because our children learn about life themselves, the world, other people from us. They're always looking to us, mirroring us and taking their cues from us. So if they see you with positive relationships with your siblings and then that that's normal. That n- they know that's what is expected and I'll work at it and all of that. And again, not, you know, if you're listening and you're thinking, well, my relationships with my siblings are not good. Does that mean my children's relationships are doomed? Not at all, because it's about what did you learn from that experience? And And what are you going to bring that forward? Exactly, exactly. So you really can. But it's about being aware of it and learning the lessons, integrating that lesson and knowing, well, I'm going to help my kids to future proof their relationship because that's not how it worked out for me. And sometimes in families with the best will in the world, maybe the best thing to do as an adult is end that is disconnect. Sibling, yeah. Is disconnect. Sometimes you have to know when to walk away in order to mm-hmm. protect yourself. So, I mean, it's great when the sibling dynamic works, and at least as we're saying, it works mostly well most of the time. Mm-hmm. And there will always be highs and lows, but that's the nature of relationships. But if it's something that crosses a line into toxicity, then no. That's and, something I mean, else. I suppose that's the thing with adult relationships that you need to be able to recognise that and, you know, walk away, as you said, you know, if you have to. But when your ki- when kids, they either don't have that choice and certainly would hope that a child, you know, sibling relationship wouldn't develop into that kind of toxicity so quickly. But I mean, si- sibling rivalry, I think there are positives to it in that watching your siblings do well, not in a rivalry kind of a way, but can encourage you to do well as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Laura, do you find that with the girls and with Kyle that they kind of would, you know, when they see Kyle doing well, they try to mirror him. They want to be like him because he's... Definitely, yeah. And I I actually think for us in our family, like sibling rivalry, if, if that's the right phrase to call it, you know, for us is only a positive. I think that it, it like the girls, even their, you know, social skills from it are just fantastic, you know, from a, to share. Exactly. Yeah. yeah to and and when, they, when they see their brother being good or him, you know, doing something for mum, they want to do that. They, you know, they want to learn from that. Now, they don't. They don't get on all of the time. And and but another learning um, aspect for my kids is really between Noah and Kyle at the moment. Noah's kind of learning about fairness and equality. And sometimes one of your kids will just be allowed to do more than the others. And Kyle is nine, so he can kind of stay up a little bit later or go out on the road with his friends. And Noah just does not accept that this is just the way it is. She it's she wants to do all of that as totally, well. Totally, yeah. you know, and sometimes she can go out on the road if she's done X, Y and Z and she gets a little treat and she can go out with him and he likes to show off his little sister and sometimes he absolutely doesn't and she needs to learn that she has to respect his boundaries and if he's doing something and she can't do it, 
that's just life. But it is the nature thing. Like, I mean, I think we can all remember looking at our older siblings and just thinking they were so cool. Like my older sister, I just thought she was so beautiful and so cool. And all I wanted was to be like her. Um, And I'd say at the time I was incredibly annoying. Like, I don't know how she didn't drown me. But it's funny, isn't it, Joanna, that you do like all you want to do when you're little is to be like your big brothers and sisters. And I think it's about perspective, because at the time that you're adoring your older sibling, they're they're probably in the throes of hating themselves. Even, you know, that they're in that awkward stage. Mm. So your adoration is incongruent with their sense of self. So that can make them really bristly and rejecting of you because, no, that's not how I feel. So I can't accept that from you. And that can feed into a dynamic. And I think what Laura is saying is so important because often children or at least some of our children have a pronounced sense of justice Mm. and fairness. And that's one of the biggest triggers for sibling rivalry is this perception that there isn't equality Mm. because I can't have the exact same thing in the exact same moment as my sibling. But actually, it's really important that our children learn that that's not equality. Equality is that you all get what you need when you need it. So if one of you needs a pair of runners now and you don't get a pair, it's not that I love him more than you. It's that he needs runners. And when you need them, you'll get them. That's fair. Yeah, and that's, that's really interesting because even if you think about that in terms of like uh, the stage or the, where you are in the family, my youngest sibling is only 19 and he, out of, out of all of us, is the most financially responsible child you've ever met. Like he went out and made an appointment. I mean, he made an appointment at 18 years of age to get a braces consultation, paid a down payment man. and paid for his whole braces. Good for him. Good man uh, he bought a car. And you would think typically as the baby, he would be used to having things given to him. But I think actually he has. Or be viewed as the most spoiled exactly, in inverted he commas. Is the most least spoiled in the whole family and actually then my next brother would go who's older than him would go to him for a lot of advice and I think it's interesting how the youngest brother would look at the oldest brother who is eight years older than him and he really wants to be like him and he would see him as he's a businessman he lives in America he's this really good job this amazing lifestyle and he has this unbelievably proactive mature attitude that actually none of us had at that age so it's it's interesting you would assume he grew up with older siblings taking on mature even and pseudo mature exactly. traits as he yeah. was growing up. Yeah. So I would have thought like on paper, oh, he'll grow up to expect a lot from us. Mm. But actually, I think we expect more from him than I would have ever anticipated. Yeah. You and all it's grew him up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was really interested. Like, you know, six parents for all intents and purposes. <laughs> yeah. And Joanna, with that, how do you encourage from, you know, taking all your own stuff and putting it to one side as in all of our own stuff? How do you encourage positive relationships and make the rivalry a positive, like Laura said, an actual force for good in your in your small kid's life. I think it's about learning that rupture and repair are healthy, normal parts of all our relationships. So having fights and we blowing up. We fall apart, we make up. And I think it's about celebrating the making up so that you don't just focus on stop fighting, stop shouting, give her back this, give her back that. But you actually encourage the repair piece and you praise and focus on that and say you did a really lovely job at making friends. You said you're sorry. That was really important. And you invest in that. I think that's going to be really helpful. And I think that you've got to present yourself to your children as the escalation point. Don't come running to me with everything. When you guys have exhausted all options. Or telling tales. Then you come to me. And if they come to you very quickly, to redirect them and say, I, I can hear there's a row going on, but I know you will work this out. I know you will come up with a solution. So almost you're the referee. 
but don't get pulled into it because there is no winning as a parent because no matter what you do, one other or both are going to accuse you of always choosing the other one's side. And how do you not get pulled into something though? I mean, I think that must be really hard. You know, oh, I think it's so difficult and particularly if it's a trigger for you. If mm. if that kind of rowing and sibling dynamic was Reminds very true for you, it could little. be really triggering and mm. reactivating of stuff and that tends to be what you act out of. Not what's happening in your playroom, yeah. but what's stirred up in you. Mm-hmm. So I think like if you know there's a recurring row over TV remote or screen time or whose turn it is that not in the heat of the moment, but when it's calmer, that you sit down and you draw up a schedule and you highlight the available slots and you have them put each other's names in for whose turn it is and you stick that on the wall so that when they're rowing, you can say, well, look at your schedule that you did. Whose turn is it? And you're redirecting them to problem solve it. Or if they're fighting with each other, instead of saying you go here and you go here, give them a positive thing to do so that instead of, you know, them losing something as a punishment, they actually have to make each other a card Mm -hmm. with three things Mm -hmm. they like about the other one. And if you choose for that to take you five minutes to come up with three things you like about your sibling, then you're done. And if you choose to make Mm. that drag on for hours because you hate everything about them, then so be it. It's on you. (laughs) But I think it's about, you know, a positive, creative solution to stop the row and redirect their focus to what they like about each other rather than what they don't like. But you're putting it on them. I think you forgot how we treat each other in this family. Mm. Do you guys want to try that again? And I think mm. it's important to stick to it. Absolutely. Yeah, think to be consistent. It's so easy to, to know which one of your kids is going to kick off. And it's very easy to say, OK, you can just have that or you can just do that because, you know, they're they're going to cause the most it's, trouble. And you're protecting yourself in that as well yeah. from that but experience. You, yeah, and you don't want to have to listen to it half an hour of a tantrum. Yeah. So you, I want to say, OK, you can just have the iPad. But, but if it's not their turn, it. exactly. And you're just going to have the same problems over and over again. So if you have a schedule... It's really important to stick to it and not just try and just please the You end up that your child who is prone to the uh, tantrums or the outbursts, that they identify with that. They become the angry, overreacting child in your family rather than a child who sometimes feels angry. That's so so true. If you you continually give a label that they will will not let be that label. Totally. Good, bad or indifferent. Absolutely. And that sticks with them forever. And actually, on that note, is it important to... Or I suppose, how can you practically be aware of different personalities in terms of like, you might be a family who really loves sports, you might be a family who are really academic. And I don't want to use the word black sheep because that's not the case. But there's a very strong chance that one of your siblings will not be into what the family Family are into. How do you nurture that without segregating them? Yeah, I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. I think it's about seeing does everybody have a a role. If you're a family who love to go to sporting events together and a couple of you play sports, is there a role for the non-sporty one to contribute Mm -hmm. to making a poster as a cheer, you know, to cheer on the side or to be part of making the snacks Mm -hmm. that you bring with you on the road? Or you could sell them to a different family. Or, you know, to plan out. There is a way of giving everyone a role, but also celebrating their difference and finding what is their passion. And even if it's not everyone else's inclination, that they've also got to go to the dance recital or the music recital. Mm-hmm. It's about encouraging your sibling, not so enjoying they what get they the same enjoy. Amount, so that they yes. get the same amount of support. Exactly, exactly. But it's about celebrating different because it's not a herd approach. They're not all the same. They're and we individuals. all come from the same parents. We all live in the same house. We all, you know, on, on paper, we should all be fairly similar. But it just doesn't pan out that way it's at all. Personalities are just yeah. so different. And I suppose that's in the essence of what we've talked about. It's that, you know, the relationships, they might, 
be great sometimes, they might be bad sometimes, but that there are always ways to improve things. And ultimately, you're, we're all very lucky to have brothers and sisters. So, you know, luckily, Billy is going to have his own little one. Felix is going to be a forever only child. And um, particularly S- after all this. Child. Con- single child. Single child. Single child. Decision made. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you so much to everyone for that really, really fascinating chat. I mean, I could sit here and talk to you all day. Um, it's been absolutely brilliant. And thank you for listening at home. Don't forget to rate and review Positive Things Only. Um, And we'll see you very soon. Take care. Motherboard, proudly brought to you by Lidl's Loopy Loop, the new and extended baby range.